But good to see you today again. Um, This week was a long week for me. Uh, Studying, preparing, family in town, dinner of love last night, uh, which we had a good time. Um, Encouraging, uh, fellowship, fun, food. So I've had a long week, but it's, it's been a good week. And James is, again, I mean, this is our seventh week, I think, in it. And we've been challenged with some tough things to live out. So today's going to be some more challenging things, but I think we're going to be encouraged today to step outside of these doors and live like Christ, the way he wants us to live. Again, hello. 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 I, I am... Growing in my faith and striving to be Christ-like in my lifestyle. That's what I wrote down for myself this week. Remember, I've challenged you, if you were going to a party, a gathering, and they gave you one of those Hello I Am stickers, and you couldn't put your name, how would you introduce yourself? That's what I would say this week. I am growing in my faith and striving to be Christ-like in my lifestyle. What about you? Think about that today. What about you? How would you introduce yourself without using your name? Let's say our psalm together. Psalm 5, verse 8. One, two, three. Lord me. Or sorry. Lord me. No. It's been a long week. Let's try it again. One, two, three. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your path straight before me. I pray this every Monday morning to myself as I'm studying, as I'm growing in my own faith. I pray this to myself. Lead me, Lord, not in my own righteousness, but yours. Make your way straight before me. And I hope that you've been encouraged this year so far with this psalm. Say it on your way to work, in your car. Pray it to yourself. Ask God. I want your righteousness, not my own. I want you to make your way straight before me. Remember, the the path may not look straight sometimes. But if you're trusting the Lord and you're saying, lead me in your righteousness, it's going to look straight. Trust me, it will look straight. I've experienced it. It looks crooked, but at the end you look back and you don't see the crookedness. It's only been straight. Pray with me as we dive into James today. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the people here in person, but also thank you for those who are online listening, even at this very moment. Help us to have attentive ears, ready to receive your word, ready to receive what you have for us, and maybe something that we need to change or grow in. Help us today. Lead us into your righteousness. Make your way straight before us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to be going to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Faith in action. It's basically the whole book of James. But that's what I titled it today. Faith in action. Remember our theme from my study Bible, which is a good theme, I think, for us. Our faith 
determines our actions and attitudes. You have faith, but what do you do with that faith in your actions and attitudes? James chapter 2, 14 through 26, we're going to be talking a lot about faith, and we're going to be talking a lot about action, deeds, works. How do they go together? So let's start in verse 14. We're going to read verse 14 through 17 to begin here. So if you want to turn there, it's not going to be on the screen today again. But listen with attentive ears. And if you have a copy in front of you, you can follow along. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Our first point today. And this clicker is, there we go. A person's faith must be accompanied by action. You'll see my points are coming from the summary statements in verse 17, verse 24, and 26. The first one, verse 17. A person's faith must be accompanied by action. A person's faith must be accompanied by action. Last week we were encouraged from James, remember, remember who we are in Christ. That's our identity. We've got to remember that. We talked a lot about that in Sunday school. Our identity is in Christ. And then we listen to the royal law found in Scripture. And what was that? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then last week, our last point we learned was speak and act with mercy. Then we come to this section. James ends with the last section, and he starts off with two questions. Questions. What do you do with questions? When you're read, you answer them. Thank you, father-in-law. You answer them. But I'm talking about when you come to Scripture, you're reading through your Bible, and you come to a question, what do you do? Here's one example. You may do this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. That's one. Here's another. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Hmm. James poses questions when I read scripture sometimes I read through it I go right past it we may ask ourselves this instead why does James pose these questions let's think about them and not forget about the question he asks because sometimes you just fly right through the question and go on I believe, like any good teacher, I was a teacher in Korea for a few years, and I posed questions to my students. They hated answering them. 
They're like, just give me the answer. Why do teachers or speakers ask questions? To make those who listen think about the topic at hand. The teacher or speaker who asks a question to their students or audience usually gives a little time for them to think about it or even to write it down, their answers. Sometimes when I was in class, the teacher would ask a question and say, I'll give you three minutes to answer that question. Go. And what does the teacher do? Doesn't talk for three minutes. Gives you time to answer that question, to think about it. How do we respond to a question when we come to a Bible and we're reading it? What do we do? Do we stop and think about it? Or do we just go on and say, Oh, good question, but I'm just going to keep reading. I'm guilty of it. As much as you are, probably, we forget to stop and think about the question. How can we answer it? Or how should we think about it before we go on? There are times we need to do that because this is why I think it may help us grow spiritually. Let me tell you, when I'm sitting at my desk and there's a question on my mind or I come across a question in a book I'm reading or a, the Bible, I may stop and think about it for about an hour. It's not fun. I hate it because I'm like, I got to get this done. I got I to gotta go to the next thing. I need time. But I stop and think about a question maybe for an hour. I may not even write anything down. I may be thinking of you all while I'm trying to answer this question. How can I encourage us all to go and answer the question but also live it out? It may take an hour or so. James, this is what he does after posing the questions though. He gives a scenario. Do you like scenarios? Do you like stories saying, suppose this happens, what are you going to do? Do you like those? I don't like them. It's like, suppose this, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? James poses this scenario. If a person knows the need of another, you know the need that they need, you know what they need at that time, and you do nothing about it. What does James say? What good is it? Verse 14 starts with those words and verse 16 ends with those words. What good is it? James gives the answer in verse 17. What does he say? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You know, I like definitions. Accompany means this. To go with as an associate or companion. Another translation may say these, but this is what I wrote down and with other translations in mind. Faith has action. Faith is comprised of action. And faith involves action. A company. That's my translation. At the NIV. Faith 
by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That's a strong word. Dead. Useless. Futile. It means nothing. We have heard it in the past weeks, and I'm going to go to it again because it's one of my... It's hard to hear sometimes. Which some writers say this is probably one of the toughest parables of Jesus. The parable of the sower. Can you go there? Matthew chapter 13. I took a class in college in teaching the Bible, and this is the parable I put, uh, did a project on. How would you teach it? So I made a project about it. It's one of my favorite parables, but it's also hard and difficult. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus teaches the parable of the sower, and then you get to verse 18. And following, Jesus says this. Now remember, the parable of the sower, the word is sown, okay? How many types of soils are there? There's four. These are people hearing, they're receiving the word. How do they hear the word? Here's Jesus explaining what it means. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the, dev- the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But, I like that word, but, the seed Falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop. Hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. They produced a crop. You notice how many types of soils? How many? How many types of people? Did they all hear it? They heard it. They all heard the word. And only one produced a crop. That's James. Remember, James, the half-brother of Jesus... Do you think he heard the parable of the sower? And I said it, I believe he did. Might have been in the background. But he heard it. And James knows to hear the word, understand it, and produce a crop. Now, you may notice, if I produce a crop, is it going to be the same as you? No. Some 100, some 60, some 30. We're not all the same. 
But if we produce a crop, that's when we hear the word, we understand it, and we act it out. And we're producing a crop. That's James. A person's faith must be accompanied by action. Verse 18 to 24. Let's read that together. James 2, 18. But someone will say, here's kind of the, somebody comes up to James saying, hey, what's up? You have faith, I have deeds. So someone may say that. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. I love that. You believe there is one God. That's good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Oh, you just said it was good. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Verse 24 is my summary statement here. A person is considered righteous by putting their faith into action. Now don't miscom- I'm not miscommunicating this. Yes, we are saved by faith, but your faith has to be acted out. A person is considered righteous by putting their faith into action. There will be that person that will speak and say, well, you have faith, I have deeds. What's the problem? This response, their response is like, okay. James says, okay, show me your workless faith and I will show you my working faith. That's Keith Mitchell paraphrase. That's how I see it. Show me your workless faith and I will show you my working faith. Corey Ten Boom, you know who that is? In the Holocaust, they welcomed the Jews into their home to hide them. And this is what she says, and I love it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Join a church where members believe the Bible and know the Lord. Seek the fellowship of other Christians. Learn and be nourished by God's word and his many promises. Conversion is not the end of your journey. It is only the beginning. We can't just stop at faith and think it's okay. I've done that before. I believe God. I believe in Jesus. I'm good. I don't need to do anything. I read somebody this week. You may know the name. He founded International Sunday School Lessons Incorporated, Dr. Bob Utley. He said this. You may not agree with him, but I think it hits it. And again, don't mis- misquote Dr. Bob here. He said this. I assure you, he was speaking to his congregation. I assure you, correct theology will not help you enter the kingdom of God. 
There's got to be an encounter with the gate, he said, with Jesus. And there's got to be a godly lifestyle, the way, the journey. He goes on, you need to meet Jesus and live for him every day. When I heard that this week, I was like, that's James. You have faith. It's good. But you need faith in action. You need to act it out. Because what does it say? One of the the verses in the Bible that makes me shake in my seat every time I read it. Even the demons believe. There's one God. And shudder to tremble convulsively. They believe there's a God, but they're shuddering every time they hear it, every time they see someone doing something in the name of Jesus. And if you're reading through the Bible with the church, you you, you read it this week. Go to Acts chapter 19. When I read it this week, I was like, Lord, you always bring the right texts when I'm studying the right thing at the right time. Acts chapter 19, verse 13 through 15. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. I love this. The evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who are you? Jesus I know. The evil spirit knows who Jesus is. Even the demons believe there is one God and shudder. They are scared, trembling. Jesus I know. When I read that, I was like, wow. Evil spirits like Jesus I know, but Paul I know, but I don't know you. You don't, you're not going to phase me. Jesus. James then gives an example of Abraham. Now James, remember writing to Jewish Christians scattered among the nations in his day. Why does he bring Abraham? Because what? That's part of their Jewish history. That's their history. That's their heritage. They know Abraham. So he talks about Abraham. The Jewish hearers that are listening to this letter understand what James is talking about because they know Abraham. They've heard stories of Abraham passed down from generation to generation. And what does James speak of here? Verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. Remember Genesis chapter 15 God comes to Abraham and says, you're going to be a father of many nations. And Abraham's like, okay. An offspring's going to come. He believes God. And then in chapter 22, what happens? The Lord gives him an instruction. Go take this, your son, sacrifice him. 
And I can only imagine what his son's saying, God, where's your sacrifice? They get to the altar, about to slay Isaac, and what happens? The Lord says, wait, wait, wait. Now I know you believe. There's a ram in the bush. Go get it. Sacrifice that. His faith, going back to our theme, his faith determined his action and his attitude. A person is considered righteous by putting their faith into action. Straight from the verse there. James. Thank you, James. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Maybe one page over in your Bibles, chapter 11, one or two. Remember, this is the faith in action chapter. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says about Abraham, which I don't know, maybe James wrote this. I don't know. Sounds a little bit about James right here. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. His faith was put into action. He reasoned that God could even raise his son back from the dead. A person is considered righteous by putting their faith into action. Do we put it into action? Or just say we have faith? And what would my response be if you just come up to me and says, I have faith, what am I going to respond to you? Good. But you know what? Even the demons believe and shudder. And that might take you aback. Like, what? Last two verses in the section. Verses 25 and 26, he brings in another example. Chapter, verse 25 and 26 of James. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Our final point today, a person's faith is alive and useful when it is put into action. A person's faith is what? Alive and useful when you put it into action. What's his example here? You may know the story. Rahab the prostitute or the harlot in some of the translations was considered righteous for what she did. Go back to Joshua, you hear the story. The spies come in. They receive lodging, hiding in Rahab's place. They're sent back and they come back when they are going to take over and she's and her household is saved. Now go back. Uh, she was willing to risk her life, right? For the Israelite spies. Look what Hebrews says. Rahab's also in Hebrews. Chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient or unbelieving. Rahab. Rahab. 
put her faith into action. And, and I couldn't stop there. Rahab. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew the gospel writer. Where's Rahab found in Matthew chapter 1? The genealogy of Jesus Christ. But, there's, all, there's always a but. This is what it says about Rahab in the Gospel of Matthew. If you're there, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. You may have noticed it before, you may not have. Verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Do you notice something missing? To me, that's beautiful. It's no longer Rahab the prostitute. It's Rahab. The mother of Boaz. Transformation. Remember last week? A new identity? Rahab, the mother of Boaz, no longer the prostitute. Identity, identity, identity. Where's our identity? In Christ. We have a new identity. One of my favorite verses, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I have faith. I got the ticket to heaven. I'm good. And then your lifestyle is horrendous. I have faith, but I'm living a new life because I was raised from the dead. Now, when I always think of my baptism, that's the picture I have. I was dead. My dad didn't keep me under too long. I didn't die. But what a picture if you're raising to this new life. A person's faith is alive. And useful when it is put into action. I have faith, and all you do is sit around in your house. I'm going to say, Really? And I hope you say the same to me if you don't see me living out my faith. You say, Minister Keith, you're not living it out. Why do I have to? We've got to keep each other accountable. We've got to help each other out. Sunday school, what do we talk about? Build each other up, right? Jody, did we talk about our lessons today? Together, did we? Remember last week, Tony gets up here with the communion meditation and 
takes a verse I was going to say in my sermon, and we didn't talk about it, right, Tony? We never talked about it. I don't think he's in here right now. And what do we accredit that to, Jody? God, the Spirit, leading us. And I'm just like, what? It only can be the Holy Spirit weaving these lessons that we're learning in Sunday school, communion meditations, from the book of James. James shows there is a connection between what we believe and what we, how we behave. And if you haven't heard of this group, maybe you will go listen to it. Sanctus Real. Anybody? Back in 2003, they put out a song. They could have named it the Book of James, maybe. But it's called Deeds, one of my favorites. It says this. I'm not going to read it all, but here's the chorus. If you don't have faith, you have nothing at all. If you don't have deeds, your faith will fall. They can't be true without each other. You can't have one without the other. Then the next one, if you don't have deeds, you have nothing at all. If you don't have faith, your deeds will fall. They can't be true without each other. You can't have one without the other. James, 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 James is saying what? Faith. Just faith. You need faith. Because what happens when your faith determines what? Your actions and your attitudes. We go out these doors every Sunday. We come in and we go out. Does our faith determine what we do out there? Or do we keep our faith in the building? And say, I have it here. When it's uncomfortable out there, I'm going to keep it in the building. I don't want to do anything about it. How do we act in the real world? This is what it says in Nelson's complete book of Bible maps and charts. James contrasts living faith to dead or empty faith. Dead faith does not result in a transformed life that is characteristic of living faith. If you go to Colossians chapter 1, we've mentioned this before. Some people say Paul and James don't agree, but they do. Colossians 2, 1, no, Colossians 2, start, Colossians 1, sorry, 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people and the kingdom of light. For He has, peop- for he has brought rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right in the middle there. So that you may live, live 
live a life worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Yes, you're going to continue to grow in your faith, but you're also going to grow in the producing of crops a hundred, sixty, thirty times. If you're producing zero, you might be a hearer that gets choked, a hearer that gets snatched away because you don't understand it. Are we living a life worthy of the Lord? Today may be the day that you want to say, I want to begin this journey, I want to follow Jesus. Do that today, please. Repent. Confess Jesus as Lord. We talked about it. Be raised to a new life. I mentioned it earlier. I always remember my baptism. Twelve-year-old kid. I had no idea how to follow Jesus. But I was like, I want to. Then the Holy Spirit comes in you. Oh, Jody, we talked about this in Sunday school too. Our old self's gone. We've got to walk in step with the Spirit and live a new life. So remember, a person's faith must be accompanied by action. A person is considered righteous by putting their faith in action. And a person's faith is alive and useful when it's put into action. Hello, I am growing in my faith and striving to be Christ-like in my lifestyle. How about you? Pray with me. God, thank you so much for today. The book of James is challenging. Makes you think. This letter has been around for a long time. And it's here for us to learn from, to grow from, and to be encouraged to go out and live out the faith we have in you. God, if there's someone here today, I pray that they would say, I want to follow Jesus. And then there's a church family and a body of Christ that says, we're here for you, to build you up, to encourage you. And thank you for the Holy Spirit. Help us to keep in step as the Spirit leads us and guides us in this chaotic world. But you are faithful. You're true, righteous, holy. We love you. We thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice he made to cleanse our sins. Make them white as snow. Lead us into your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.